Well, hello. Who says you can't have fun in church? Am I right? You all having a good time? Lots of fun? You can clap. That's fine. If you're going to start, you just got to like go with it, right? Well, today's scripture reading is going to come from Genesis chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is the word of God for the people of God. I think you would agree with me when I say this. How we care for something, right, or the concern that we give to something has everything to do with how valuable we understand that thing to be. I'm gonna say that again. So how we care for something has everything to do with how valuable we understand that thing, that thing to be. So let me explain, give you an example. 1970, this engineer bought this gold chest for 160 bucks, right? It's gold-colored chest, whatever. 160 bucks, 1970, right? Now, in 1970, it's a good chunk of change for a chest, but it's sturdy, it was solid, it was interesting, so he purchased it. And for the next 16 years, he used this said chest as a TV stand, right? So functioned nicely as a television stand. It had that right angle, one too high, one too low, no glare on the TV, you know what I'm talking about, right? Now, after that, he moved out of his apartment into a house, upgraded. And when he moved into that house, the chest went down into his man cave where it served as his bar top. It was a bar. It's where he put his bar paraphernalia, whatever you call that, right, in his, in his man cave. Now, in that sense, he got about 40 years out of this thing. So I guess on the one hand, 160 bucks, 40 years of use, pretty good investment, right? Well, he passed away in 2013. And after he passed away, his family went and hired an, an, uh, an auction specialist to come and appraise and sell his estate. But when that specialist got into his house, he noticed this chest over in the corner of the room covered up with a bunch of stuff. And there was something about this chest that looked really familiar. So he went to investigate. After some research, he confirmed that this chest was actually long-lost Japanese lacquer box that was worth a fortune. It was, it's known as the Mazarin chest, and it was considered to be a masterpiece of its day, and people had been looking for it for decades. Little did they know, it spent 40 years in this guy's apartment as like an oversized coaster, right? Guess how much this thing went for at auction? $10 million. Y'all just say that with me? $10 million. Like this whole week, I've been looking through all of my wife's uh, antique furniture she's given from her family, and I'm like, hmm, what's this worth, right? I think you all agree, though. Like, if, if that guy knew how much that thing was worth, right, if he knew the value, don't you think he would have cared for it a bit differently? Or something like, well, I'm not sure, because a good TV stand, whew, it is worth its weight. No, I mean, come on, right? Like, if he would have known it was the Mazarin chest, he probably would have cared for it a bit differently. How we care for something. The concern that we give to it has everything to do with how valuable it is. Today, we're wrapping up our stewardship series called Right on the Money. And this really gets to the heart of what stewardship is all about. Stewardship, if, if you've grown up in the church, 
You've been around the church at all. Stewardship's probably a word that you've heard before. And let's just, let's just go ahead and be honest. It's kind of an ugly word. It's got like a black eye to it. You know, stewardship's that thing, that word ch- churches use when they don't want you to know that they're really asking for your money. Am I right? Stewardship, right? But this is so far, this is not the case. See, stewardship is actually, it's a matter of how we use, how we care for the most valuable resources that we have. It's about caring for them in the right kind of way. And now we're going to be hanging out in Genesis chapter 1, one of my favorite passages of Scripture in the entire Bible. And I'm calling today's message, Live What You Got. I'm not calling it Give What You Got. Live What You Got. It's a play on words. You catch kind of cute, right? Live What You Got. And here's my goal. I've got one goal this morning. My goal is to hopefully wake you up to the most incredible resource you have. You. You. And my hope is that for all of us, we leave here today wrestling, it's an important word, wrestling with how intentionally we're living our lives. Are we living our lives on purpose? Are we a mess? That's where we're going this morning. Who's excited now, right? Genesis chapter one, though. This is, without a doubt, favorite passage of Scripture in the entire Bible. Philippians, if you care, is my favorite book. But when it comes to a passage, when it comes to the text, this is my favorite. It is unbelievable. Some people are like, isn't it like so, it's so old and has nothing to say to us today? Far from the case. Genesis one is amazing. Now, I'm gonna get a little nerdy. Is that all right? I'm gonna geek out a bit. A little Bible nerd coming out, okay? Genesis one is so fascinating. Now, sadly... Genesis 1, the creation story we find there is when God creates the earth in how many days? Six days, rests on the seventh, right? Now, often this text, this passage gets hijacked by that faith versus science debate. You know what I'm talking about? And I'm just gonna be honest, that debate just seems completely unnecessary. Faith and science have no problem coexisting, right? They can coexist just fine. But I would argue that Genesis 1 is not, first and foremost, a scientific explanation for how the world was made. That's not what it's after. And when we make the point trying to prove it or disprove it from a scientific standpoint, we actually miss the point altogether. Genesis chapter 1 is actually a poetic proclamation. Don't you love the sound of that? A poetic proclamation about who God is, about how the world works, and most specifically, who you and I are, and what our role is in the whole thing. Now, often, the creation story in chapter one that spills over into chapter two, it's often referred to as a poem. It's because it's full of like this rhythm, this pa- these patterns, right? There's, it's got a sort of groove to it. And, and in fact, the chapter is loaded with symmetry. And you don't always see this in the English language, but, but if you look at it in the original language, what you notice is there's all these patterns, just repetitions of words and phrases and, and patterns of seven. Now, some of you, if you know anything about Jewish consciousness, number seven, it's a big number, isn't it? It's a big number. It represents wholeness, completeness. It's things being the way that they're supposed to be. And so these words and phrases get repeated in, in patterns of seven. For instance, the word God it shows up 35 times. You math whizzes out there. 35 is seven times. Give somebody a high five. Way to go. Right? Pattern of seven. And then from there, the words earth and heaven show up 21 times. This is seven times. 
three. Good job. The phrases, it was so, the phrase God saw, and the phrase God made, each show up seven times each. All right, so you see this, this symmetry. There's this pattern. There's this groove. It's intentionality. And then you, you, you even see this symmetry, this pattern, when you look at it and you step back and look at it from like a big picture perspective. God, God creates everything in how many days? Six, right? So there's actually six days of work. Well, you can divide these six days up into two groups. The first three days, what God does is God separates. God creates this sort of, these sort of cases, like these fears, right? And then the second three days, what God does is God actually goes back and fills these in. He creates the inhabitants that live inside of these spheres. So again, this is important. What you're seeing here is order. What you're seeing is pattern. What you're seeing is intentionality. This differed so much from other creation stories that were around during its day. Those creation stories, the world was the result of chaos. It just sort of happened. The gods were angry and they were violent. And what do you know? A world pops out the other side, right? Not so in Genesis. This is the effort of a God. It's intentional. Right? There's rhythm, there's pattern here. Now, this is where it gets important. Genesis 1 is also a text that's on the move. What I mean is it's headed somewhere. There's this movement to it. The focus moves from the heavens to earth. For instance, the first two days of creation, and you can go back and you can read this on your own. First two, two days of creation, guess where all the attention is, where all the action takes place? up in the heavens. Day three, the attention focuses, moves here to earth. Day four, back up into the heavens. But it finishes day five and six, all the attention, all the focus is here. It's what's happening here. So it's almost like this picture of God moving closer and closer to earth. This is a text that is headed somewhere. It's pointing us into a particular direction it's pointing us towards the climax of the whole thing. Without a doubt, Genesis chapter one, the climax of the entire chapter, y'all should feel good about this, by the way, is the creation of human beings. The creation of human beings is where the whole thing is headed from the very beginning. Make no mistake, human beings are the pinnacle of God's creation. Turn to your neighbor and say that without being creepy. You are the pinnacle of all creation. Watch your eyebrows when you say it, though, because it could get creepy in a hurry. You're the pinnacle of all creation. This is where Genesis 1 is headed. I mean, human beings. In fact, if, if you read through this, every other living thing is actually created by creation. The water is what produces the birds and the fish. The land is actually what, what brings up the vegetation and the land animals. Human beings are the only living thing that is actually directly created by God. There is this sort of divine council that happens where God comes together. I just read that to you here a second ago, but, but verse 27, I want to read that again. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he what? created them. Male and female, he created them. This word created shows up three times. You notice that? Three times in a row. And it's a different word than what's used everywhere else in the chapter. In the Hebrew, it's this word barah. You have to say it just like that. You have to. Barah. Because this is a big, powerful, loaded word. It's a word that's often referred to, to something that God uniquely creates. Barah. 
And so the picture here that scholars argue is God it says it three times in a row. So it's almost like God is infusing human beings with this unbelievable creative power. Barah, barah. Three times. God's pumping this nuclear power, this, this dynamic, unbelievable power to shape the world. God's infusing it into human beings. So here's what this means in the simplest way. What does it mean to be a human being made in the image of God? Here's what it means. You have the divine given ability to shape the world, to influence the world. You have been given this unbelievable creative power, this barah from God. Like I'll I'll never forget the moment when I knew that I knew that I knew this. I was in New York City. How many of y'all ever been to New York City? Raise your hand. Best city on the planet. It's amazing. It's one of the few things that's ever lived up to my expectations. I'm that guy. That's who I am. I'm that guy. I always have like huge expectations and they never get met. And I'm always disappointed. Like it's all right. It's okay. Not New York City. Wow. I'll never forget get going there. And somebody told us, make sure, because it was around Christmas time and it was at night, whatever you do, make sure you go to the top of the rock. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Best view of the entire city, top of Rockefeller Center, right in the middle of the thing. In fact, here's the view right here. Here's what it looks like when you go up there. I'm going, whoa, whoa. I mean, human beings are so amazing. How many of you ever watched, uh, was it, uh, so you think you got talent? Is that right? Is that what it's called? America's Got Talent or whatever? You just go walk away going, humans are weird, but they're amazing. I mean, the things that we can do, we are so uniquely set apart from the rest of creation. It's unbelievable. We figured out how to fly. I mean, can you just think about that for a second? Like the next time you're in an airplane, I mean, think about it. You're in a chair in the sky. There's nothing underneath you. Like we figured, it's, it's incredible. I mean, every single person on the planet, you are amazing. You're amazing. We're, we're, you are creative in every way, shape, or form. Some are like, not me. No, we are. We even care like what our food looks like. You ever thought how weird that is? Like when you sit down in a restaurant and they bring you out a food, what's the first thing you say? That looks good. Who cares? Like who cares? You're going to eat it and it's going to look awful, right? That's going to happen. Like we're, we, we, are, we are creative in every way possible. I mean, it is God-given ability. That's what it means to be a human being made in the image of God. It means you have the unbelievable potential to shape the world around you. That's what it means. But, but here's what I love about Genesis chapter one. It kind of ends open-ended, doesn't it? But here they are. They've got this power. They've got this ability. They've got this authority. Now, what are they gonna do with it? I think this is incredibly relevant for us today. I mean, this helps me understand the world that we live in. It's like you read the news one day and you hear about this incredible medical breakthrough, right? This this sort of new thing they discovered that's gonna save the lives of thousands of people. But then the next minute, you're reminded of the fact that we're living in the shadow of nuclear war. What will human beings do with this unbelievable power, this unbelievable gift? How will they use it? That's the question. That's the question. In fact, a few of us went kayaking a week or two ago. We did three days down the Congaree River. I wish I had some pictures to show you because I'm not good at kayaking. There's some funny pictures there. But, but we live in a beautiful part of the state. 
are a beautiful part of the country. Did you know that? Some of y'all grew up here, and I think you take it for granted. This place is amazing. South Carolina is gorgeous. We're, we're going down the Congaree River in the middle of nowhere, and it's beautiful, you know, these sandbanks and all this stuff. But there was one thing that made every single one of us so sick to our stomachs. You know what it was? All the beer cans in the bottom of that river. I mean, there were thousands, thousands of these aluminum cans. I'm sitting here thinking, man, on the one hand, I think it's incredible to be a human, but sometimes I'm just embarrassed. I'm just embarrassed by this. Put your trash in a trash can, please. Recycle. It's not that hard. I mean, to be a human being made in the image of God means that you have been given the unbelievable ability, potential to shape the world. Some of you, as soon as you hear that, you don't think about yourself. You think about somebody else, right? You think about, oh, that other person, that Bill Gates person. No, you don't get that option. Because this is one of the things that's really cool about Genesis chapter one. Other creation stories talked about a person being made in the image of God, but it was usually just one person. Guess who it was? The king, the ruler, which makes sense, right? If you're trying to rule a place, I'm just I'm made in the image of God. You better do what I say. Because if you don't, you're not obeying God. That's not gonna work out well for you. Genesis 1 blows that up. It says, no, every single human that has breath in their lungs has been created in the image of God, which means you, yes, you, have the unbelievable potential to shape the world. Now, as Jesus followers people who have signed up for this kingdom of God movement, we've got to take this a step farther. Because here's what you have to understand, is that you have been invited, you've been redeemed for the sole purpose of using what God has given you to shape the world into the kind of place God wants it to be. Simply put, here's the deal. There's no neutral with this. There's no neutral There's no playing it safe here. God fully expects you to use what you have to shape the world into the kind of place that God wants it to be. In fact, Jesus tells this parable in Matthew chapter 25 that I think gets to the heart of this. In this parable, he he talks about this wealthy landowner who's who's going away for a while. and, and, And before he leaves, he entrusts a big portion of his wealth to some of his servants. To one of the servants, he gives five bags of gold. To another, he gives two bags of gold. And to the one, he gives one bag of gold. Now, the first two who were given, you know, the five and the two, they go and invest it right away, and they make a bunch of profit. And when the master comes back, they give him the money, and he's like, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, the guy who was given one bag of gold, he didn't invest it. Instead, what he did was he hid it in the ground. He buried it. And when his master came back, he wasn't too pleased, to say the least. But here's, here's what this servant says back to his master. Matthew chapter 25, verse 24. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and I hid in the ground. Hid it in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. That phrase right there is important. Here is what belongs to you. What he's trying to do here is he's trying to distance himself from the responsibility he had to put his master's resources to work. He's trying to play neutral. He's trying to play it safe. In fact, a more literal translation of what he says there in verse 25 would be, you have what is yours. And this was a regular phrase people would use in Jewish transactions to do this. I'm out. I don't want responsibility for this anymore. This is on you. I'm done. I'm removing myself from this situation. Hear me when I say this. There is no neutral. 
there's no neutral. I mean, the message this morning is really simple. Here's what it is. What you do with what you have matters. What you do with what you have matters. Because you are a human being who has been handcrafted in the image of God, it means you've got say-so. It means you have authority. It means you have this creative power to influence the world around you. I'll prove it to you right now. Let's, let's, let's get this you know, out of our head. What's this look like in real life? Here you go, you ready? You heard of this thing called malaria? You've heard of that? Malaria kills about a million people every year in places like Sub-Saharan Africa. A million people die every single year. You know, for $10, you, I'm talking to you right now, you, you can purchase a, a, a mosquito net. And that one mosquito net can literally save an entire family, prevent them from having malaria. There's, there's other training and education that goes along with that. But for 10 bucks, you can do that. Guess what? The average American spends $14 a week on coffee. I'm not talking talk about the coffee you drink at your house, coffee you go and get outside of the home. Nothing wrong with that. I love a good latte, soy, a mocha soy latte from Starbucks. Hallelujah, right? I love it. Love it. I'm trying to prove a point, though, because we walk around, what can I do? How can I shape the world? Let me tell you how you can shape the world. $14 a week you spend on coffee. What if you didn't for a month? You could save the lives of five families. What? You world changer, you. I'm talking to you. And the unbelievable potential you have simply by being intentional with your resources. So here's another one. The average American spends three hours a day on social media. 21 hours a week, whole lot of me time. When you agree. Imagine if you just took a bit of that. Just a little bit. Instead, what if you use some of that time in a place like our 1010 Bridge Program? Mentoring some after-school program kids. Or, or what if you got involved in student ministry? Took a few hours out of your week to, to pour into the lives. You, hear me when I say this. I'm talking to you. I'm not talking to somebody else. I'm talking to you. You could change the life trajectory of a young person simply by, by just being more intentional with the resources you have. I mean, I told you the message is simple. What you do with what you have matters. There's no neutral here. You see, what you're doing right now, what you're not doing right now, it's influencing the world in one way or another. It's making an impact. Whether you're trying to or not, hear me when I say this, the choices that you're making, the choices that you're not making, what you're doing with your life, your energy, your passions, your money, your resources, it is impacting and shaping the world in one way or another. The important question is this, is it impacting and shaping it into the kind of world God wants it to be? You're making a difference. What kind of difference is perhaps the important question. And as a pastor, trust me, I know this to be true. Every single person wakes up to that in their life at some point or another. Everybody does it. Sadly, a whole lot of folks wake up to it really late in life. I've sat with people in their final moments. Guess what they're thinking about? This. And you wake up to this either in one of two ways. Either you wake up to it with gratitude and you look back and you go, whoa. I cannot believe God used me to do that. Or you wake up to it with regret. 
And you ask things like, why, why didn't I spend more time with them? Why didn't I use more of what I had for that? What if we wake up to this, this awareness sooner rather than later? What if we woke up to it now? Question I ask myself on a regular basis. 20 years down the road, what am I going to wish I did right now? 20 years down the road, what am I going to wish I did with my time? What choices am I going to wish I made instead? It's a pretty sobering question, isn't it? What you do with what you have matters. And in light of this, y'all, stewardship really begins to make sense now, doesn't it? Because stewardship is about living intentionally. It's about wrestling with how we're using this stuff and taking time out to use it in a way that honors God and that allows us to live out of our God-given identity. And so what I want to do, I want us to think through the different arenas of our lives, right? And to really ask ourselves, how are we doing with this? I mean, how intentionally are we living right now? And I want us to look to Jesus because, of course, I mean, it, nobody did this better than Jesus. I mean, Jesus lived with so much focus, so much purpose. He didn't waste anything. He wasted no energy on anything. Everything was, was with intentionality. And I love this. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus is at Simon Peter's house, right? And all these people have come from all over the place because they know that he's there. They've heard about some of the things that, that, that he can do. And he's healing people left and right. I mean, seriously, he's casting out demons. He's healing people's eyes. I mean, he's doing all this amazing stuff. All these people are coming. They're going and getting their family. They're going and getting their friends from other towns. And they're bringing them to Simon Peter's house, which I'm sure at that point in time, Simon Peter's wife's like, what have you signed us up for, right? This is happening all day. And notice, notice verse 42 of chapter 4. It says, at daybreak. So Jesus has been doing this all night long. Right? He's been healing people all night long. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. Man, so think about that. He's surrounded by all this need. Jesus, where are you going? My cousin, he's on his way. You can't leave yet. You got to wait till they get here. Right? You, you can heal them. You can do something about this. And you know there had to be guilt trippers in the crowd, right? I thought you were the son of God. Where are you trying to go? Right? That you're the Messiah and you're going to leave? So they're laying it on thick. Verse 43. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. So he is surrounded by all of this need and all these opportunities to do really good things. And what's Jesus do? He leaves. He says no. He goes on to something else. Something I want you to say here in a minute. I'll say it first, but I want you to say it after me. This can be hard for somebody to say this, but I want you to say it anyway. Here's what it is. I don't have to do it all. Can you try to say that? Maybe. Let's try it. You ready? I don't have to do it all. By the looks on some of y'all's faces, that's one of the hardest things you've ever had to say. But it's true. It is true. A few weeks ago, I preached a message in our core value series called On Earth As It Is In Heaven. And we talked about finding your kingdom purpose, right? And I heard from so many of you after that message. It really resonated with you. And I'm, I'm happy about that. But, but something that I heard from a lot of people, it went something like this. Man, I just feel so convicted. I need to do more. I'm not doing enough. Now, time out. There's a lot of us in this room right now. That's true. It's true. You've been showing up here for worship, taking up a seat. We love that you're here. It's time to get involved. And we're all busy. All of us are busy. The real question is, are we busy doing the right kind of things? Can I get an amen to that? 
But many of the people I was hearing this from, I was shocked because I knew them. And I knew that they're involved in a lot of great things. They're giving themselves to a lot of really great things. And so they feel this sense of conviction, which I trust is conviction. But here's the part that I think is strange. Why do we think the next right thing to do is to do more? Maybe for some of us, the next right thing to do is to do less. But to do it more fully. Because man, when we are so caught up trying to do all of these really good things, guess what we're not free to do? The best thing to be fully invested in one thing, to give yourself entirely to something that gets your heart beating fast, that puts a lump in your throat, that you could literally give yourself to. That's what the world needs more than anything else. People who are fully alive and fully committed to something. And so maybe for you, the, the, the next right thing is to do what Jesus did. Maybe it's to move away something good in order to pursue, pursue something great. Are you with me? I mean, Jesus knew what he was about. At the same time, he knew what he wasn't about. In Luke chapter 12, he's teaching, I love this, he's teaching this big crowd, right? And it would have been like a setting like this. And, and somebody sort of yells out in the middle of his teaching, interrupts the whole thing. Hey, teacher, tell my brother to split the inheritance with me. Right, so obviously somebody in the family's died and all the crazy relatives come out. Right, some of you have had this experience before, and they're fighting over the inheritance. And this guy says, hey, G hey, Jesus, hey, teacher, tell this guy to split this up with me. This is a strange request to ask a rabbi to do. This is not what they did. And I love Jesus' response to them. Here's, here's what he says in chapter 12. He says, man, that's how it starts. Every translation, man, I love it. Who appointed me as a judge or an arbiter between the two of you? Here's what he's saying. That's not my job. That's not my job. I don't got time for this. He's not being rude. He's focused. Jesus is like, listen, I've got some things that I'm doing and that I'm about, and this isn't one of them. I'm not going to spend any energy on this. And we got we to hang out here for a moment, y'all. We got to park here for a minute. Because in the scriptures, often this is referred to as a grace. That God actually gives people a grace to do something, to care about something, to be passionate about something. It's, it's referred to as a grace. And here's what I know. We don't all have the same grace. Now you have one, and if you haven't figured it out yet, start looking a little harder. But you've been given a grace. There's a grace that God gives you to care about something, to be passionate about something, and we don't all have the same one. This is so important. because Maybe you've had this experience, and it happens a lot to me around the holidays. It's like all of a sudden you are flooded, right? You're inundated with all these opportunities to give to something. You notice that? And they're all great things, aren't they? I mean, they're all things that, man, that's, that's, that's a great idea. I should, I should do that. You get flooded with all these different requests and different opportunities to give and to serve. How do you begin to navigate all that? Are you with me? And perhaps in discerning this, maybe there's a question we should ask ourselves. Has God given me a grace for this? I mean, is, is this something that really hits me where it matters? Or am I, am I responding to this out of guilt? Am I responding to this out of, out of some weird sense to not want to make somebody upset? I mean, was God giving you a, can I just free you up to not have to care about everything? Can I do that for you? You don't, but you know, you need, you need to care about something. You need to care about it in a deep way where you're willing to bleed for it, where you're willing to sacrifice for it. That's what we need. And there's another side to this, and I'll move on, I promise. 
There's another side to this, and I, I experience this and of it a lot just in my role. You know, God can give you a grace, and you can be so excited and so passionate and so fired up about this person, this cause, this thing, and naturally what you want is you want other people to be just as passionate and just as excited and just as on board as you, and guess what are they? are not, are they? They're not. And how do you tend to feel when that happens? Man, does anybody care about anything, right? You, just, you get so angry, you get so frustrated, you, you can't understand why they don't see it the way that you do. Sometimes it's helpful for me to think about this. Maybe that's not their grace. It's your grace, that's great. Maybe it's not theirs. Maybe it's something else. And I think what this does is, is it frees us up from getting angry, frustrated. It frees us up from that resentment that sometimes creeps in in the midst of all of that. But you gotta find something. What is it? What you do with what you have matters. And this is, this is I'm gonna, I'm gonna finish with this thought right here. Can I just talk to us honestly, right? One of your pastors was just kind of hanging out. We're a very affluent church. Thank you, Captain Obvious, right? We are, we live in an affluent community. And I don't just mean in our financial situation. But man, I look around this room right now, I see you, hope you know that, I see you. Y'all are amazing. We have some amazing people in this church, gifted folks, I mean, unbelievably gifted folks. And I believe that God has, has strategically placed this church to make a huge impact in our state. I believe that. That's why my wife and I moved down here. God wants to do something amazing in this community. But here's also what I know. We're surrounded by a whole lot of people in need. The disparity in the state of South Carolina is shocking, especially if you're not from here. I mean, it's shocking. Some of the wealthiest people I've ever seen in my life live right next to some of the poorest folks I've ever seen in my life. I don't think that's okay. Man, we have been given way more than enough, and there are a whole lot of people who don't have enough. And at the same time, they don't have a fair shot at getting enough. And I'm not suggesting that there aren't lazy people out there, right? I'm not suggesting there aren't people who are trying to get a free ride or take advantage of the system. But I can introduce you to some folks, and I know some people who would love the chance to move forward in life, but there is a whole lot stacked against them. In fact, I came across this great video that I think illustrates this in a really powerful way. Let's watch. We are racing for a $100 bill. The winner of this race will take this. It's a $100 bill. Before I say go, I'm gonna make a couple statements. If those statements apply to you, I want you to take two steps forward. If those statements don't apply to you, I want you to stay right where you're at. Take two steps forward if both of your parents are still married. Take two steps forward if you grew up with a father figure in the home. Take two steps forward if you had access to a private education. Take two steps forward if you had access to a free tutor growing up. Take two steps forward if you've never had to worry about your cell phone being shut off. 
take two steps forward if you never had to help mom or dad with the bills. Take two steps forward if it wasn't because of your athletic ability. You don't have to pay for college. Take two steps forward if you never wondered where your next meal was going to come from. I want you guys up here in the front just to turn around and look. Every statement I've made has nothing to do with anything any of you have done. Has nothing to do with decisions you've made. Everything I've said has nothing to do with what you've done. We all know these people up here have a better opportunity to win this hundred dollars. Does that mean these people back here can't race? No. We would be foolish to not realize we've been given more opportunity. We don't want to recognize that we've been given a head start. But the reality is we have. Now, there's no excuse. They still got to run their race. You still got to run your race. But whoever wins this hundred dollars, I think it'd be extremely foolish of you not to utilize that and learn more about somebody else's story. I think what this vi video is illustrating is something called privilege. And I recognize that's a buzzword nowadays, isn't it? It's a political buzzword. But let me say something to you, and I hope you hear me, because some of you might not feel comfortable right now. Privilege is not, first and foremost, a political issue. It's a biblical one. And I would argue that it is at the core of the gospel. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is the clearest. He is about that day of judgment, a day when Jesus returns to set things right. And you know what the, you know what the prerequisite is? You know the thing he's most concerned about? What'd you do for the least of these brothers and sisters? Because whatever you did for them, you did it unto me. And I remember the first time I ever heard the word idea of privilege. I was an undergrad in college. And I'll be honest with you, I got angry. It made me mad. I was like, so what, am I supposed to feel guilty about all this stuff that I really had no, no say over? I've grown up a lot since then, thank God. And I've realized the point isn't to get mad. You know what it is? It's to live with awareness. It's to recognize that I've got a whole lot of opportunity and things at my disposal that some people don't have. And the point then is to go and use this, to leverage it, to try and help create a better future for other folks. This is what I believe Jesus invites us all into. You know, Paul says it like this. I love what Paul says in the book of 2 Corinthians. And he's writing to the Corinthian church. Corinthian church is us. They're loaded. They're a very affluent church. And he's trying to move them and motivate them to give to this collection he's taking up for the poor in Jerusalem because they're going through a really hard time. Listen to what he says to them, though, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, at the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. It's beautiful. On the one hand, we, we got way more than enough. And there are some people who don't have enough. And that's not okay. I'm really excited that over 100 of you are coming out tonight to experience the first poverty simulation. That's incredible. We're sold out. You can't come. We're full. We got another one on Wednesday night, though. And if you're interested in learning more about this, I want to encourage you to come out to that. 
And we're going to be talking more specifically about our partnership with an organization called Circles USA that I think is going to position us and empower us to help come alongside some folks and help them move out of poverty. So keep your ears open for that. But, but I love the mutuality of what Paul said. Did you catch it? So that your plenty will supply what they need. So that in turn, their plenty might supply what you need. Here's my question. What do the poor have to offer the wealthy? turns out a whole lot because here's what I know you can be rich in so many ways and yet still be really poor at the same time you can be dirt poor but you can be rich and in my experience often the wealthy need to be rescued from their wealth just as much as the poor need to be rescued from their poverty because you can have all the money in the world but your life be devoid of meaning. And this is my favorite thing about Jesus. Not only does he invite us or save us from something, but he saves us into something else. He gives us purpose. He gives us a meaning for our lives. And that's to usher in the kingdom of God, to be a part of making things right. So church, I'm gonna ask you to stand up right now. Would you do that for me? We're not gonna sing another song. Instead, on your way out, you're gonna be given one of these pledge cards, all right? We do this every single year. Right? And this is, this is not for our benefit. Hear me when I say that. But this is an opportunity for you to go home and to prayerfully consider how intentionally am I living my life right now? What am I doing with these unbelievable resources God has given me? Right? And then you can bring this back as a sign of a commitment. This is how I'm gonna be invested in what God is doing here in this church. I'm gonna tell you again, we don't even use this. We don't use it for budget's sake. This is for you for you to think about how you're living your life. And one of the things you'll notice, even those of you that got one in the mail, I'm gonna encourage you to pick one of these up on your way out because it's a bit different. In the past, you've had an opportunity to give separately to missions, right? As a, as a separate giving opportunity. That's not there anymore. And it's not because we don't think missions is important, quite opposite. We think missions shouldn't be optional. But when you give your resources to this church, understand a big part of that is gonna go outside the four walls of this church. And I think that's something to be proud of. Wouldn't you agree, church? Amen? Well, let me commission you. And I'll say this. You are a human being who has been handcrafted in the image of God. Now go and make this world into the kind of place God wants it to be. Amen? Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week.